0: Today, we'll be talking about the families in Enterprise.
1: Yeah, woo! And we have got faith of the heart for this episode, so I hope that you all have it too.
0: You're just going to have to expect a lot of references to that song because, (laughs) you know, when you've been hearing it a lot for, like, we've been hearing it a lot for these rewatches, and it's
1: definitely stuck in my head every day. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Rihanna, what is your Star Trek thought of the week?
1: So I've been thinking a lot about how in Lower Decks, it's all about the people behind the scenes. And now every time I watch a series of Star Trek and we're into our next family episode, I've been thinking a lot about how the Lower Decks characters function on those episodes and on those series. Like, how do the Lower Decks Voyager characters feel? You know, they're on here just for maintenance and then they got thrust into the Delta Quadrant. Like, that's a lot. Or like, what about the Enterprise Lower Decks characters? They have a lot of work to do because there's all these new systems. Lower Decks characters are already underappreciated enough. I kind of want to see an episode of Enterprise Lower Decks characters... When they're caught in the Expanse and they're having to deal with all these crazy anomalies. I mean, after
0: watching a lot of these episodes of Enterprise, I think the Lower Decks episode is when they all died. Like the 28 we lost. I mean, I think a lot of these like early missions probably had a lot of casualties, you know? Yeah. Compared to later when everything's safer
1: and... Yeah. <laughs> when it's more of an actual family ship. Yeah, I think about that a lot now that we have the wonderful show Lower Decks. Yeah, I love that.
0: I think that's amazing. My random Star Trek thought of the week, I've kind of talked about it on this pod before, but just to reiterate, I just was thinking about this a lot. Just because we were watching so much Voyager last week and then jumping right into Enterprise is kind of a shock because the shows are so different. And so I was thinking about how long it takes the crew of the Enterprise to figure out a problem on the ship. We're going to talk about it a little bit on this pod, but there's an episode where where Hoshi goes into the transporter and she's caught in the buffer and she can't get out and she has this whole vision of what's happening on Enterprise, but none of it's real because she's caught in the transporter. If her vision had been true, it takes a crew like 40 minutes to figure out that Hoshi is stuck and in the transporter and not able to come out. You know, Hoshi goes to see Phlox and she says, I'm feeling bad, you know, and no one really believes her, takes her seriously. But if she had gone to Janeway and said, hey, Captain, I'm feeling tired and out of sorts, I think it's the transporter, Janeway would have been like, order 20 cc's of something and then go to see a psychologist and then we will get you checked out for all your molecules, you know, and then it's all done. She would take her so seriously and so I guess I was just thinking about that's why I love Janeway so much and I kind of wish what if Hoshi and Janeway had served together what would that look like I've been thinking about like my ideal crew and I feel like Janeway's the captain Kira first officer Hoshi communications I feel like we got a powerhouse building
1: yeah <laughs> all female crew sounds like the vibe yeah. that we need to be taking into this year I yeah. love that
0: yeah absolutely so well thank you for sharing the random Star Trek thoughts I, I think too. hopefully please leave us a comment if you enjoy this segment it's just nice to talk about some random things
1: tweet us or dm us or anything about your random star trek thought of the week
0: yes please love to hear
1: it so okay. let's jump into these
0: family episodes so right off the bat i'm just gonna say the theme of enterprise is not family and <laughs> that's why i love doing series themes like this because every series is so different enterprise is is not about family enterprise is about exploring and becoming closer with your crew which is like most of the shows are about that as well but it was just interesting to watch this show through this lens where we have such narrow information because it still gives us a good glimpse into who our characters are and how they were formed and so i'm excited to talk about it it's going to be a very different pod than something massive like deep space nine or next generation But I'm excited to dive in with you today.
1: Same. I think that we should first start with our captain. Yeah. Jonathan Archer, the talented Scott Bakula. So we talked a bit about Jonathan Archer's father in our pilot episode, Broken Bow. This is where we begin to learn about Archer's father and the impact that he has on Jonathan and how Henry Archer's really shaped Jonathan Archer I mean if any of these characters were influenced by family members Archer is definitely one of them because his father helped develop warp drive with from Cochran essential for this kind of travel that Archer is doing on Enterprise I think that that creates a really interesting relationship because It's sort of set more around career and around what you're going to do with your life. And I think that considering the flashbacks and the stuff we know about Henry Archer, he seemed like a fairly good dad, but I just don't think he had enough time to really be with Archer because in the episode Cold Station 12, Archer talks about how his father died of Clark syndrome when he was 12. And for the last two years of his life, there was times when Henry couldn't recognize Either his wife or his son. And that, first of all, Ouch. yeah, <laughs> completely. My heart goes out to people who have family members who go through diseases like this because to watch someone slip away in that way has got to be extremely painful. And I think, especially for Archer, who so deeply looked up to his father, and I think probably seeing him deteriorate like that in the last two years. I mean, two years is a long time, especially when you're 10 probably his death became even more of a catalyst for Archer to join and to fall into his father's footsteps. I think that he takes a lot of pride in the fact that he did what his father wanted him to do. And he's sort of honoring his father's legacy in that way. And I think that that's a very powerful motivator for him. I think he's wanting to honor his father and to respect his beginnings.
0: I agree with everything you said, because we don't really hear Archer talk ill about his father at all. I think the worst thing he says is that he could be pretty demanding and... In the episode Daedalus, Archer is reunited with a man who's like a second father to him, Emery Erickson, who worked very closely with Henry Archer, but he worked on transporters. That was his thing. Archer is talking to Emery, telling him a story where he was afraid to do something, probably something at school. And the only thing that Henry said to him was, then don't fail. And that's it. (laughs) And he does not give any kind of other loving words. But other than that, like that's the worst thing that Archer says about him. And that's not even a bad thing to say that just that really shows you that Henry is someone who just did not allow for imperfection. He worked incredibly hard to create his legacy, and he was clearly trying to pass that on to his son. And I think the fact that Archer lost him at such a young age kind of immortalizes him in Archer's mind because he passed away so young that most of Archer's memories are probably good ones. And it's something that he can kind of use as inspiration for his whole life. I think it's a good thing for Archer, and I I don't think he could have done it without his father, everything that he ended up doing. So I don't have too much more to say except that i think it's complicated to have a father figure who's just incredibly famous more famous than you could ever hope to be even though archer is amazing and he does end up saving earth too it is complicated but i think archer's able to deal with it in a healthy way that's not so attention-seeking archer just seems very humble to me and i think that's also probably because of his upbringing
1: Absolutely. I really like everything you said. I don't entirely disagree with you about like him being humble and that's because of his roots. This rewatch has really changed the way that I look at Jonathan Archer as a captain versus as a friend. I think yes, he's very kind, gentle, humble, but as a captain, I was starting to discover in these episodes that I feel like so much of his drive is for righteous goodness because he's trying to embody these Federation values. I found that there were some times where I'm like, he is going way too far for this thing to get done. And he is potentially crossing a lot of boundaries. He has a lot of physical altercations, which he's not torturing people, but he's definitely roughing them up. And he's willing to sacrifice a clone of Trip Tucker to get his original engineer back. And I think that a lot of that comes from desperation to be like his father was. And sometimes when he's in a tight corner. It definitely is for the greater good, but sometimes he uses some dicey methods to get there. And I don't think this means that he's a bad captain or that he's, you know, he's not corrupt or anything, but I was finding in these episodes that his drive to do the right thing sometimes blinds him to what the right thing actually is. Because He's ready to go into this expanse to look for the Zindi after the attack. And I think that that's very honorable and that he's willing to sacrifice either the sanity or the literal lives of all his crew to find the Zindi so that they can stop Earth from being destroyed, which is so admirable, so incredible. But some of the stuff he does in the expanse is kind of questionable and kind of dangerous and I think a lot of that does come from the fact that he is trying to live up to a very tall legacy of his father and a very complicated relationship that he has with his father. I mean, I don't think the relationship itself was complicated, but I think his feelings around his father's death and how early his father died in his life, but what a big impact he left in Archer drives him to this point of incredible passion and incredible depth, but it can sometimes blind him. Like even in the episode Singularity, where the crew starts obsessing over tiny things and T'Pol once again saves the day, Archer is asked to write a one-page foreword about his father for the upcoming book that's all about Henry Archer. And he says at one point, I could write the book on this. And he (laughs) starts out with 16 pages and he's obsessing over how to describe his father and how to embody this person that he was. And he's having such a hard time. I mean, part of it is because of this radiation that they're all being exposed to, that he's hyper-focusing on it. But I think it's interesting that that's the thing that he hyper-focuses on.
0: I'm not going to argue with you that some of the choices he makes is definitely questionable and i think if it had been later in the starfleet era he would have been removed as a captain but i do disagree with you that his dad is entirely i mean you didn't say it's entirely his driving force i know it's a significant portion but i feel like archer is way more wrapped up in his determined success to make starfleet happen i think he's just misguided by it i don't see it so much As his father motivating him to like do literally anything to get the job done. Although maybe it is. I don't know. Your argument, I agree with it. It made me agree with you more. We know that from watching the original series, it can also get really dicey in early Starfleet, just when there's not a lot of rules and regulations about what they can and can't do. There's a lot of question marks about things that go on (laughs) when we're watching Next Generation, Voyager, Deep Space Nine. It's very, very refined Starfleet. And so, these NX-class ships, like, they are thrown in there without really much guidance. And so I kind of wonder, well, you know, I think I'm actually going to end up talking to myself to agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think that Archer is trying to find some kind of control in these situations, and he's willing to do that by whatever force necessary. And sometimes it's not the greatest thing. I honestly, like, I have a hard time reading Archer because he is so 0 to 100 in a lot of these situations where he's very calm And reasonable. And then he just flips a switch and he's so angry about having to make these sacrifices with different diplomacy missions. And he's very easily frustrated. I think they're just trying to show as writers that he's human and that he's struggling like all of these quote unquote early humans in Starfleet are struggling to become better. And so they show that, but I'm just not entirely convinced that it's because of his father. I think Archer's way more obsessed with Starfleet. I think it's more of a selfless, he'll do anything for Starfleet.
1: Ashlyn, I really like that. That's a really good distinction.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: And we don't know anything about his mother, really.
0: No siblings. So Archer, I think, kind of had a lonely life growing up. And so I also understand why he's so dedicated to the people on his ship. Similar to Janeway, I think he views them as his children. And that is why he goes to such lengths. He's also heroic and wants to save the earth.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and he does. (laughs) So good job. Let's move on to someone whose family is
0: much different. Let's talk about Reed, Malcolm Reed.
1: Yes, Malcolm Reed, our resident armory officer who loves weapons
0: (laughs) he really loves weapons
1: (laughs) so honestly i noticed in watching these episodes that we only glean information about families through a lot of Ways in which they talk about their family There's this one episode where Shran Is like helping out the crew In the Expanse and there's this female Andorian aboard helping Reed With a bunch of the Weapon systems and talking about The long line of navy officers That his father and grandfather And like whole generation of Reeds before him Were naval officers And he broke this Tradition through the fact That he joined Starfleet instead He talks to this Andorian about it. She pretty much blatantly says, oh, so your father must be disappointed in your decision. And he's like, yeah, you're pretty much right. He is. And then she says, well, if he would see what you're doing now trying to save all of humanity, I think he would be proud. And so that's about the gist of the relationship between Reed and his father. Yeah. I love that interaction.
0: We do see Malcolm's parents for a very small time during the episode Silent Enemy. Reed's birthday is coming up and Hoshi's trying to figure out what his favorite food is. Ordered by Archer. Archer can just give orders like find out what his favorite food is. And that's what Hoshi's doing this whole episode. And so she's interviewing basically his whole family. She asked his mom and dad and they don't have an answer for her. They don't. Can't even tell her what food he likes to eat. I do like in the episode because Trip right away says my parents would have told Hoshi to have a catfish casserole ready for my <laughs> birthday. I thought that was funny. but Love it. Reed's parents just do not have an interest in him, it seems like. And even interviewing Hoshi reaches out to his sister and she says that Malcolm is not the easiest person to get to know. And I I mean, I agree with that throughout the series. He's someone who holds his emotions very to the chest and he's not open about them and he's just focused on the job because he loves weapons <laughs> he, craves violence. And he loves upgrading and just making the read alert you know yeah. he's so excited but i just thought it was interesting because i always viewed malcolm as someone who was hard to get to know but then to see his family also feel the same way i just wondered what that said you know like are his parents just not taking the time to get to know him It seems like he doesn't go home very often. In that episode, everybody is sad because they're heading back to Jupiter Station to do repairs. And no one wants to go back home because they all want to be out and exploring. And so I just wonder if a lot of these parents on Enterprise are resentful because their children aren't coming back home. I think in the case of Reed, he's choosing not to go home because they're not even going to cook him his favorite meal, which is pineapple cake. You know, he loves pineapple. That's what they found out. (laughs) Thank the Fox.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do find the interactions with the family members who are on Earth and the crew very interesting because it's the exact opposite of what we just talked about in our voyager episode because yeah they're literally like so close to earth for a lot of the time or they're back at earth or things are happening where they're in communication with their family and I just find this really interesting because we talked about a bit in the Voyager episode where it's the choice that really defines how it's easier to get in contact with your family when you have the choice. But then we end up not contacting our family as often when we have the choice. But then once that's taken away from us, it's like, oh, geez, I should have called my parents more, you know? And so number one lesson, go call your parents or guardians right now. This is your weekly reminder. (laughs) Call your grandma. Call your dad. Call your mom. Call anyone. See how they're doing. (laughs) Call people in your life that you care about that you want to be close to. But the other thing is that Reed in this situation, yeah, he literally hasn't called home since they left Earth. Season one, episode 11. Okay. So, I mean, it's not super long. They didn't leave Earth that long ago. But I think you're absolutely right that, first of all, his parents didn't take the time to know him. But I think also Reed is a very private person. He seems very introverted. Seems like he'd prefer to eat lunch alone. He'd prefer to be in the armory organizing all of his weapons than in the mess talking with his friends. And I don't think that that means he doesn't have friends. That is a huge part of why it's hard to get to know him because he doesn't open up very much. And, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. But I also think that parents with kids who aren't as open, there's still ways to get to know your son that could be through his interests. You know, and I think that maybe his father was so bitter that he wasn't going to join the Navy that he just didn't really think about Malcolm's own interests and didn't take time to learn. I mean, they didn't even know that he was an armory officer So it's just crazy to me.
0: Yeah, so there's also a nice exchange in the episode Horizon in season two, where Mayweather is talking to Malcolm, and we'll talk about this pretty soon. Mayweather is about to rejoin his family on the horizon, take a couple days, and he mentions to Malcolm, they should start putting families on starships, which of course is a reference to everything else in Trek, where we have families living on the ship. And Malcolm says, well, they better put a psychologist on board if my parents are going to be roaming the hallways. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because, I mean, he's dead serious. That's not a joke. Malcolm is very serious about that. And I thought that was a cute little exchange. But, I mean, it's a good point, and that's why we have Troy on board in the future. Yeah, but- I mean, Troy is like a family counselor a lot of the times. Yeah, she's always intervening with family. Yeah, <laughs> But I just thought that was an interesting exchange too. He just does not want his family involved and that's how he likes it.
1: It's a two-way street with parents and children. Both parties have to reach out and have to put in the work. And it seems like neither party here is that interested in that. They have their own versions of care for each other that maybe we don't really get to see because it's not how quote unquote normal family shows affection, but doesn't mean that maybe they have traditions. We just don't really know. We don't get a ton here. Yeah, I agree. Let's move on to Hoshi. Yeah, let's do it. So we get one episode That really talks about Hoshi's family called Vanishing Point. Okay, so Ashlyn, you mentioned this episode a little bit where Hoshi's stuck in the middle of a transport and she has this whole vision, like it seems to last, what, a couple days? Yeah, like five days or something. Yeah, so that's a long time to feel like you're stuck in a (laughs) transporter and you feel like people aren't listening to you because you're slowly vanishing into nothing. That's scary. That's a really scary experience. And this isn't family, this rant I'm about to go on, but I did find that I was very glad that this reality wasn't real, that it was just Hoshi's experience being caught in the transporter buffer for a long, long couple of seconds because they're super patronizing of Hoshi. They don't believe her, like Ashlyn mentioned, and that Janeway would have believed her in an instant. Um, And it's a boys club. You know, there's a lot going on that's pretty not Great. People aren't very inclined to listen to her. And this is something that I think Hoshi probably deals with a lot. And being a woman of color, being someone who is maybe more timid, and so she comes across as more breakable. And I think a lot of people take advantage of her in these ways because even when Archer asked her to find Reed's favorite food like this is not her job ask chef to do that you know like don't send the woman to do the party planning it just bothers me but anyway this isn't a feminist podcast this is a family podcast so it's only feminist sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I mean we go on feminist rants a lot so yeah, I hope you yeah. guys like that kind of thing because it's happening whether you like it or not so both her parents are alive which is great especially for Star Trek like good job but The thing that I really like about Hoshi and how she talks about her family is she does seem to have quite a connection to her culture and her heritage. There's also the episode Singularity that we talked about with Archer and his fixation. Well, Hoshi's fixation was this one recipe of, I think, her grandmother's.
0: Yeah, it was a Japanese recipe that had been passed down in her family. She was trying to figure out if there was too much salt.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she's obsessing over this recipe because she, in this fixation state feels like this is the only way that the crew is going to understand her culture and feel like she's a valued member of this crew which is so dumb it doesn't come down to one meal to have your crew members value you and your culture but this is how it manifested for her which I think is interesting because again this is another person who was fixating on family making a good and lasting impression of their family I think I really respect that idea that like she really loves her culture and her traditions and her family she seems to really care for them and that's all there So in the episode, Vanishing Point, I think we get kind of a
0: weird scene with her father because Archer has to Skype him, basically. (laughs) Archer calls him to say that, Hoshi's dead. And her dad is, I don't know, it's just a weird scene. He believes that Archer's joking at first or he just like doesn't believe him. He's like, what are you saying? Because Archer's having a hard time coming out with it. And even after- he relays the news, he doesn't have any reaction at all. He's just like, oh, okay, I'll have to talk with her mother. And I believe it's mentioned that her parents are divorced. I think there was a mention of it because Mm -hmm. their parents are separated. And he said, I'll have to talk to her mother. Yeah. And so that Would be really hard news to hear, obviously, from your ex-husband that your daughter's dead. I wonder if Archer tried to call her mom. I'm just not sure. It was just an interesting scene. Her father didn't have an emotional reaction at all. And I'm not sure if that's just because Archer was bumbling the delivery of her death or if it's because he was just having trouble processing it at the time. Probably he didn't want to show his feelings in front of this random Starfleet captain, especially because Hoshi only joined because of Archer. And so I think obviously if Hoshi had really died in that situation, Archer would have felt extremely guilty because Hoshi wouldn't be out here if it wasn't for him. And I think that's also a reason, you know, you mentioned Hoshi is, you know, a lot of people have problems with her. I think on the ship is stuck in these weird roles where she has to figure out random facts about the crew, which is not her job at all. Yes, I think partially it's because she's a woman, but I also think because she hasn't been through Starfleet, you know, she has not gone through the Academy. She's basically a civilian taking on this role. And, you know, actually someone on Twitter brought up this point for me and I've really been thinking about it. Like she really is a civilian on this ship asked to do these really stressful things without much training. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, she's the relatable character. She's us, you know, someone like a, your everyday person thrown into a position on the Enterprise, you know, she's extremely brilliant at her job. I feel bad for Hoshi and luckily, you know, she's fine and we don't ever get to see her parents in a real way (laughs) on the ship. But I think she grows as a character as the show goes on. This rewatch, I ended up liking Hoshi more than I have in the past. I think because I understand her perspective a little bit more now that I'm older.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I had a question about this episode, Vanishing Point, and maybe this is just... English major Rihanna trying to make more out of what I see than is really there because this is my job. So you can, you know, tell me if I'm reading too deeply into this because I saw this episode as sort of a manifestation of how Hoshi thinks the crew sees her. And I was wondering if this vision came from her or if it came from the transporter or like if it's one and the same I sort of thought that even the interaction with her father because it was so stilted and weird and just confusing is this how she envisioned her father would react to her death like does she feel like she's also not very valued people weren't listening to her does she feel sort of invisible to the crew sometimes and those fears manifested through her transporter fears you know but she also saw how much they care about her in these moments and so i'm just curious what you think i'm just thinking it could be a deeper look into her insecurities and to maybe how her relationship is with her father i mean obviously someone going through the news of finding out their child is dead like that would be devastating and very confusing and hard to deal with especially like you said with someone who's a practical civilian But I still think that the writing felt more off than normal because I think they were trying to tilt everything in this direction of it feeling odd and feeling off to the viewer so that then when we figured out why it felt off, it made more sense. And so I wondered if the scene with her father was also sort of a manifestation of her insecurities. Does that make any sense? Oh, absolutely. It's funny
0: because I was thinking – not that it was a manifestation. When I saw this episode, I actually thought that maybe this was an alternate universe, Mm -hmm. an alternate reality, because we have seen a lot of characters get stuck in the transporter buffer. Like I'm not joking, like, you know, maybe 20 main characters throughout Star Trek get caught in the buffer at some point. And every time they get stuck in the transporter, nothing happens. I mean, when Scotty's stuck in there for like his like 100 years in Relics and Next Generation, he's fine. It's like a second has passed since he beamed up. And that's been everybody else's experience. And so because it's Enterprise and they just make random things happen sometimes, it could just be a writer's way of exactly what you're saying, Rihanna, showing us Hoshi's world and Hoshi's perspective. But... I was just kind of trying to dig deeper into Star Trek, and I do think it might be an alternate universe or a parallel universe that she jumped to. There's no indication, there's no temporal activity or anything like that. But the transporters knew enough; I could see it doing something crazy like that. I just thought it was weird that she's the only one who has this experience when she's caught in the transporter buffer. So that's kind of what I was reading it as: was this isn't really her crew; they're copies, you know? It's a parallel universe. But I really like your explanation, and I think it makes a lot of sense particularly
1: Uh, because she's scared of the transporter and so i think that that even heightens her fear because she's like, I was scared of transporting and now this happens. Like, this transporter is no good, you know? <laughs> but, Ashlyn, I really like your scientific view. I love that we have our different backgrounds where, you know, you're like the science officer being like, that is illogical. It is only an alternate universe. <laughs> I mean, I'm
0: just looking at the data here. Like, no one else has a dream while they're in the transporter buffer, you know? <laughs> Literally, also, it later, like, at the end of the show in season four with Daedalus, what we already discussed Mm -hmm. Ericsson's son reappears for a moment and then passes away tragically but no time has passed for him either so I'm just questioning (laughs) (laughs) yeah truly questioning the logic here but I really like your explanation and I think especially the scene where she can't translate something that's supposed to be very simple I think that is the scene that makes me agree with you the most is that I mean this is scary to be the translator of earth basically like she's earth's best translator and so she has a lot of weight on her shoulders and she's constantly questioning herself and i mean i'd be the same way i get insecure about way smaller things yeah (laughs) than hoshi's position and so i think she's doing the best she can in a very tough environment
1: especially because the crew really just takes her for granted they're like oh she's just a computer who can whiz out any translation she wants without any struggles and so when she does struggle they're like what's wrong with you you know so anyway Yeah. yeah it's just interesting but that's all we get for Hoshi. Yeah, that's all we get. We do get a lot more for Travis Mayweather,
0: though. Mm-hmm. He grew up on a freighter, which we haven't seen a lot of freighters yet. There's Cisco's girlfriend, Cassidy, who is a captain of a freighter. And so I like to see different kinds of ships and just a different way of life. And so the episode Horizon is a really interesting one with Mayweather. I really liked it because of random writing. They're sending Enterprise back like 30 light years years to go witness an anomaly and it so happens that his family's freighter is right on the way and he's very excited to go back I was thinking of it like when you leave home for the first time when you're in college and you're so homesick (laughs) for the first couple months and you just want to go home and everything is weird like you're happy to be in a new place but it's also just very strange and you're not used to it yet and this was kind of the vibe's I was getting from Travis that the closer he was getting to being back on that freighter, the more he was so homesick and so excited. And then when he gets there, it is not what he expected at all because, well, first of all, he thought his dad was only sick. Ah, uh-uh, his dad is dead. And that is so sad. He missed the letter that his mom sent because of issues with communications with Starfleet. His dad passed away six weeks ago and he wasn't there for it. He didn't even know that it was happening. So this is a lot of emotional upheaval right away. Also, his brother is the captain of the freighter now and he is having a rough time doing it. I think the whole family is struggling with the loss of his father and being back on the freighter is definitely not what Mayweather expected.
1: Yeah. Oof. This is a really tough moment for him because he didn't hear for six weeks about his father's passing that his family's in a completely different stage of grieving, I think. I mean, not that grieving has these defined stages. I think that it comes and goes in waves, but they're more accustomed to the fact that he's gone in these six weeks than, of course, Travis is, who just discovered this. And so it starts out to be very much like whiplash for him, I think, coming on this ship because – His family, of course, is still grieving, but his brother's the captain. So, I mean, they have to keep going. They have to still continue to get their cargo delivered because this is their livelihood. I mean, this is literally how they're surviving in this world. And that all just can't stop because their father and the captain is dead. I mean, they have to move on in that way. It doesn't mean they've emotionally moved on, but... Travis can't even really fathom that this is even happening, let alone that people are already doing cargo runs. So that, first of all, has just got to be so much of an upheaval for him. But also the fact that in these cargo ships, Travis literally says, on a cargo ship, you can't walk 10 meters without running into your babysitter or your great aunt. The fact that it is such a family ship and that you grow up with these people for your whole life, it kind of reminds me of I know some people who have lived in the same house their entire lives and they have neighbors who they're practically family members with, you know, that they go to for everything, like not just for getting the sugar or something, but they rely on them to watch over their houses while they're gone. And so I kind of feel like it's the same thing where it's this such close community that have lived together for so long.
0: It's kind of like a small town. Like you go to the store and you run into everyone that you knew <laughs> in, in high school <laughs> at, this, at the grocery store.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Yeah, that's such a good analogy. So I think that mayweather wasn't sure if his father was even proud of him he died before he could really ask his father these questions i mean we have another sort of situation here similar with reed where travis took a different path than what his parents wanted of him particularly what his father wanted of him his father i think wanted him to eventually become the freight captain on this cargo ship like the family business essentially and so he's also coming to terms with the fact that he won't be able to ever know what his father truly thought of his career in starfleet i mean he has his mother who can give him some idea that's different than actually getting to talk to your father about it
0: well we do have a scene with archer at some point during horizon archer shares that travis's father wrote a letter of recommendation to archer because when he was trying to find a helmsman he wrote to the superior officers to see if he could get a better glimpse into the character of each of his candidates And his father wrote just one line of a recommendation. He said, I've never met a more natural stick and rudder man in my life. You'd be a fool not to choose him. And that's it. And that was the recommendation that made Archer choose Travis for this mission. So, I mean, I think that says it all. I think his father was grumpy and frustrated that Travis didn't want to inherit the freighter, but he still fully recommended him for the job. And I would argue he gave him the job at Starfleet. That recommendation stuck out to Archer and his father knew it would. And Travis says, I wish he'd shared this with me. So this is also a reminder to all you parents out there to tell your children how you really feel every once in a while because so many of these characters don't realize how much their parents care about them. And it is so sad. I think it also just shows that Archer is acting kind of as a father to Travis throughout this. There are many times where they have breakfast together or Archer goes and hangs out with him in Zero Grav. That's how they really connect a lot of times in the show. And so I'm glad that he has Archer. Mayweather was homeschooled on the freighter. He didn't have a traditional anything (laughs) growing up. And so his time on Enterprise is really the first time in his life he's interacting with new people aboard the ship. And so I can see how he would easily adopt them as his second family because that's how he grew up. I do want to talk about his mom also. Same. I was
1: literally just about to talk about her. Yes, I do love, love this last scene of his mom and Travis getting to talk. First of all, I think she's super cool. I think she's down to earth and really just trying to keep everything afloat. Of course, his brother is the captain, but she does like five jobs. (laughs) She's just running around the ship. She's like, I'm a chief engineer. I'm sometimes this and, you know, Mm -hmm. like,
0: She's chief medical officer. She's a CMO too. Yeah, she's a CMO.
1: Like there's so many jobs that she does because this is how the nature of freight ships. Anyway, I think that they have a lovely talk at the end where Mayweather is really trying to come to terms with, should I be with my family again and try to help them build up back into the same position they were before his father died. And he says like, maybe I should take an extended leave. And his mother is very discouraging of this idea. She's not outwardly telling him no, but she's like, I just don't think that's a good idea for you. Essentially, this is not where he's going to be happiest and she knows it. She says, I'm proud of you. And she also says, don't let your guilt over leaving guide your decision. And so I think that that's a really great way of saying it and something that sometimes you just need to hear (laughs) from a parent telling you you're making the right choice. This is the right path for you. And sometimes you have to put your happiness over Your family's happiness Because I think it would have made everyone miserable If Travis had stayed Not because he's a bad guy Or they they have really even that torrent of relationships But it's mostly just the fact that It's not where he belongs And it's not where he feels like he can excel And be his best And I think that his mother knows this And she knows that for the sake of everyone He needs to go back to Enterprise And they're gonna be fine She's pretty much assuring him Like it took a long time for my husband For your dad Had to get used to being captain. Like we had a lot of the same problems when he was first being captain. And so your brother will adjust, you know, and she's sort of reassuring him. And I think that that gives Travis the push he needs to understand that they're going to be okay, even if he's not going to be there.
0: Totally. I also love when she says, (laughs) You're going to give up your career, move back home, and take orders from your brother. (laughs) Like, I think she does a great job of putting things in perspective for Travis because she really knows her sons extremely well. And I think that's what I love so much about this scene and just about his mother in general is she seems to know when to intervene. And she also has a great line that she says, I've played referee between you and your brother for a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so there are a lot of tense moments in this episode between them, but she knows when to step in and when to sit back and let them figure it out. And that's, I mean, (laughs) that takes a lot of practice. That takes knowing your family extremely well. And I think she's just extremely intelligent, both emotionally and book smart. I really admire her. I really got to love her during this episode. I think she absolutely tells him to do the right thing. But I understand his perspective, too, because he has all of this knowledge after working on Enterprise. In the first couple years of getting this position, he's thinking about his freighter a lot. And thinking, oh, when I go home someday, I'm going to modify this, 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 and that. And then to come home and have that plan totally rejected, his brother is mad at him Well, first of all, because Travis had not called his father and barely had a relationship with him for about four years. And then now that he's gone, you know, there's no reconciliation possible. So that's one reason. Of course, the brother, I think, is mad that Travis also didn't stay on the ship because he views loyalty as the most important thing. And also... The brother can't find any crewmen because they all want to join Starfleet. And so poor Travis is the embodiment of everything that his brother is frustrated with. And that's why he's so vile to him, honestly. Like, he is rude to Mayweather during this episode. But I think he's just taking it out on him. At the end of the episode, when the freighter is under attack, they end up working together and they come together in a great way. I'm just grateful that his mom was there to kind of step in and say, you know, this is not going to be good for any of us. You are on the first Warp 5 (laughs) ship on Earth. That's a really important job and you can't sacrifice your career just because we're having problems, you know?
1: yeah. Absolutely. Well said. And I do think that it is really admirable though that Travis is pretty much willing to just drop everything and go help his family because that is a real testament to how much he cares about his family members and how loyal he is to them. You know That it does show his dedication to his family, but I'd love that his mom knows him well enough to know that he's going to be miserable if he makes this decision and that they'll probably keep fighting with his brother. And I think that- they do have a bit of a reconciliation at the end as much as they can. But I think that Paul is also really stressed and really trying to like hold this family together. He now has to be sort of the – I mean, of course, the mother's still there and she is the head of the house. But I think that maybe he feels like he has to take on so much obligations that his father had that when Travis in his eyes waltzes in and tries to change everything he probably feels undermined and probably feels like he's not doing the best he can and so that is tough. It is hard when a sibling you feel like they're trying to be better than you or whatever because there's a lot of rivalry when it comes to siblings. I mean, Ashley and I aren't really that way but that's because we're awesome
0: so. I was just going to joke and say Rihanna and I have a lot of experience with that you know, (laughs) we're both always trying to one up each other and just you know. I love how you went for
1: the crack (laughs) and. joke and I went for the wholesome, nah, we're great. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I don't know. I think both of their perspectives are very valid and it's very, very tough situation having to go through the loss of a parent and everything. And so I'm just really glad that Travis didn't make that decision to stay aboard the freighter. I think it was best for everyone.
0: Yeah, he's needed on Enterprise. Archer chose him for a reason. And I think it's hard to stick with the path you've chosen. And it's easy to look back and say, "Uh, what about this? What about that? But at some point, you just have to commit just like he did to staying and trusting that his family was going to be able to work things out without him there.
1: So next person we want to discuss is the Denobulan doctor, Phlox. Sweet little flocks. <laughs> um, he also, we get a little bit of a glimpse into his family in the episode A Night in Sick Bay. Ashlyn was joking with me. She was telling me which parts of the episode to watch that were very family-oriented. And she's like, yeah, he kind of just gives his family tree. So have your pen ready. <laughs> which she was absolutely right. Like, he really just rattles off all of his family members <laughs> and something that I absolutely love about denobian culture is the fact that they're polyamorous and that it's very normalized in this environment and I really like that because I think that people who are poly get a lot of backlash and a lot of hatred and it's really nice to see flocks sort of defend and talk about it to the crew most of the crew I think might be monogamous probably I mean who knows there's probably some people who are poly on the ship but essentially he's teaching Archer a bit more about his culture and he says that yeah I miss my three wives and their husbands and he has five of his own children but probably 31 in his poly family and so I just really liked that he is normalizing this and it's not something that I don't think we get a lot of poly characters especially in Star Trek but also just in general in media I think that it's still sort of a tabooed subject. And so it's really nice that Enterprise took this leap and was like, no, we're going to talk about this because it's important to recognize so many different viewpoints on relationships and family and to recognize that it's not less of a family just because he has three wives and they have a couple of their own husbands and things like that.
0: Yeah, just because we're stuck in a Puritan society does not mean that Denobia is. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if Denobia is the right planet name. <laughs> anyway, I someone could correct me, please. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Like there's no pets and nobody keeps pets. I, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. <laughs>
1: sure Ashland, that is interesting <laughs> yeah he didn't understand archer's obsession with his what did he call it, like a quadruped or something Quadru- quadruped yeah uh, we also we get to hear a little bit about what phlox's kids do so i thought just for like
0: trivia it's fun to hear mm-hmm. he has two daughters one who's a surgeon one who's a biochemist he has a son he makes pottery he's an artist and then he has his two youngest sons are estranged from him And that's really sad. We don't know what they do because they're estranged. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I just thought that was sad. And I also thought it was interesting that in his total family, there's up to 127 relationships. And that's why there's like 31 extended kids that he knows and takes care of. That's all we get for Flocks. We just get that information and we get a couple little quips about how he misses his family and all of his children. The episode that I have some issues with, Similitude, um, Deeply Unethical, where Archer grows a clone of Trip, as Rihanna talked about, we do see Flocks act as a parent to the clone. And that was a really pure five minutes because the baby grows so fast. Every day he ages like five years or no, way more than that, like 10 years or something. And at the end of the clone's life, right before he's about to go into surgery, he says, I remember my childhood and you were a damn good father to Flocks." And Phlox is kind of tearing up and he said, you were a damn good son. I just have to applaud John Billingsley because he just makes Flocks such a warm and relatable character I love flocks he's he's one of my favorites and he's not really involved all that often in the episodes he's never like the crux of the plot but I just have to do a little
1: shout out um, yeah. to John Billingsley there Underrated. yeah I agree. And also what I love about that scene where he's raising this clone of Trip is that, you're right, it is very sweet. And it's amazing because he's like, oh, Denobians don't need that much sleep, so I'm going to stay up with this crying baby. I don't know how humans do it, (laughs) (laughs) essentially. But he also so tragic that he has to be the one to operate on this child that he raised and to kill him. Yeah, Yeah. Like the kind of... Horribleness that you would feel The guilt I think that I would feel About literally raising a child For slaughter At the time he didn't know when he first started But he was pretty quick to realize Oh this trip clone cannot survive If we want our trip back
0: yeah, definitely Dumbledore vibes in this episode. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Raising someone just so they can die at the right moment.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Yep, yep, yep. It's, it's fine. Spoilers. I- it's fine. Tune
0: in in six months for our ethics theme. <laughs> <laughs> when we talk about this episode anyway anyway that's a difficult scene to watch for sure i think flocks overall he seems like he'd be an amazing father and i hope that someday he gets back in touch with his two sons that he lost touch with me too yeah speaking of very sad moments let's talk about trip trip is someone who once again as with a lot of these characters in Enterprise we don't know too much about his whole family but we know a lot about his sister because he's from Florida. Trip is the essential Florida man and his sister was living in Florida during the Zindi attack. I'm sure we'll talk about at length at some point on a different series but this was kind of the parallel to the 9-11 attacks except in this one 7 million people died and Tripp's sister was one of them throughout seasons 3 and 4 we really see him struggling to understand and mourn her her name is Elizabeth Tripp is constantly having nightmares about his sister dying and he's calling out to her trying to tell her to run and she can't and he tries to view her just as one of the 7 million victims Victims. But after nine months of this denial, he finally breaks down and he realizes, I have to mourn my own sister. Interestingly enough, this is what kind of starts his relationship with DePaul because he's having PTSD and he cannot cope with her loss. And Flox recommends, he discusses it with DePaul, recommends some Vulcan massaging techniques. Yeah, neurodivergent. And- Yeah, neuropressure. And so after some extended time hanging out with T'Pol, this is when their feelings start. And this is the beginning of a new family. And so I do love that this is the result of Tripp's pain is that it opens the door to a new connection to to T'Pol. And I think that is really, really beautiful.
1: Yeah, I think also they do bond through those neuropressure massaging sessions. But I think they also bond through the fact that to Paul's mother is also killed and they bond through that grief. We're going to talk a little bit. I think mostly this segment is going to be trip/to Paul because they yeah, are so combine them. Yeah, they're so intertwined in a lot of ways their family stories are very I mean, of course, completely different circumstances in which each uh, family member was killed, but still they, I think, help each other through their grief and understand each other more so than really most of the crew can. I mean, I'm sure Travis can relate, but there's just a difference, I think, from losing someone to an illness versus losing someone to an attack or to like someone actually being killed, which is the situation for both. Uh, trip sister and to Paul's mother. It's so hard to reconcile a family death, regardless of how they passed, but I think losing them through a malicious attack can be just so impossible to fathom because, at least in actually kind of in both situations, it was to attack like a greater system. You know, I mean, the Zindi were attacking to try and destroy Earth because they heard that in the future, Earth's would destroy them and so it was it's a sort of
0: literally the plot of star trek 2009 i just have to say the
1: Zindys Nero. i i'm gonna say it i'm gonna say it i mean you're not wrong like, <laughs> like it's heavily similar Absolutely. like oh
0: jj abrams just watched one episode of enterprise and was like that's it that's, that's the movie <laughs> that's the
1: revenge plot i'm looking for <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah except exactly. the Vulcans are Spock yeah <laughs> anyway. yes
1: truly so I find the, a lot of similarities in this and I do think it is great that they can help each other through the grieving process and not like that of course it still makes it incredibly difficult for each of them to reconcile at one point Tripp comes to DePaul a couple of days after her mother passes and he says losing a family member it's the toughest thing there is And I think that the fact that he's trying to support T'Pol, of course, T'Pol is Vulcan. And so she is dealing with her grief in a different way in the way that Vulcans deal with grief, which looks very different to humans. But I think that still the fact that Trip is reaching out and showing that he understands really connects their bond. Um, But yeah, I also want to say I think it's so hard for Trip because – First of all, he, Lizzie, Elizabeth, is was his kid sister, you know, so a lot younger. It kind of makes me think of our little sister. I mean, she's only eight years old right now and we're in our 20s, you know, and so a very large age gap. But I do some, like, truly feel like she is someone who I have to protect and to hold really close. And so in these moments when he's talking about his sister's death, it just really affects me deeply because it makes me think about our own sister and think about how I would feel if I wasn't even there on you know on earth (laughs) when she obviously this is putting a space lens on it but i just i think that that is going to be incredibly difficult to even come to terms with and so no wonder it takes him so long to truly start to um like cry about it and to feel true sadness because i think you're absolutely right he was trying to just see her as one of the seven million victims but malcolm says to him like But she wasn't just some random person. She was your sister, you know? And, like, it is important to you. And so I do like that the crew is trying to reach out to him and say, like, it's okay to feel these ways. I think Trip is
0: someone who doesn't want attention on himself because he just empathizes with everyone. And he knows that there's so much death around them. He doesn't want to add on to it. For the crew, you know, I think he's kind of suppressing his emotions because, well, for several reasons. I mean, he wants to just keep going in his life and not break down. But also, I think he doesn't want to appear weak to the crew and he wants to respect everyone else's mourning because no one is happy about this situation. Your home planet, I mean, Earth is being attacked and it's kind of fight or flight in this moment for a year while they try to resolve the situation. That's incredibly difficult circumstances to work under. So I think Trip is trying to be respectful, but also he has a deep, not so hidden urge to have revenge upon the Zindi. And he can get... Very, very angry. There are several scenes where any encounter he has with the Zindi is, he just ends up yelling at them. And to to Paul and Archer, like you have to calm it down. You know, you have to deal with this. Yeah, even with the allies, he he cannot handle being around them. And I think it does subside again once to pull loses her mother. I think Trip can put things into perspective a little bit more too because. He has to heal himself in order to help her. And I I understand his want for revenge, though. I mean, everyone on Earth feels it. And we see a lot of xenophobia happening when they visit Earth. People are terrible to flocks, which is hard to see. I mean, obviously, again, I don't want to talk too much about 9 but how can you not? Mm-hmm. It, it, very similar, because after 9 America went through a very anti- uh, middle east phase yeah, and lot, it was a very, lot of
1: islamophobia
0: very disturbing um it's crazy Which to think about still
1: probably yeah, say, yeah.
0: <laughs> it really is yeah um and terrorism you know we had the war on terrorism declared it was a very intense time and so earth is not in a good place and neither is the crew because of everything going on i kind of want to shift it to poll a little bit because she has a also, very interesting relationship with her mother. We don't see her father, I believe. He passed away when she was younger. There's just a, a throwaway line about, don't you miss father or something? Yeah. Um, when she visits her mother on Vulcan, which I love this episode. They all go home. This is the same episode where poor Phlox has some xenophobic yeah. uh, actions taken against him. it's called
1: home. Yeah, it's called home.
0: Exactly. The, the subplot is... Um, Trip goes with Tipol to Vulcan, and I love this. I love seeing Trip in this strange world where he's something where he's not used to, where there's an active volcano that goes off all the time. He's kind of excited and, and scared by. Also, I have to remind myself that Vulcans really don't like humans at this time. During the 22nd century, oof, they do not like humans. And so clearly, to is bringing home Trip as like a lover. And his mother, her mother knows right away, and she does not approve of it. And she is presenting herself as a traditional Vulcan who follows Vulcan values, which is family comes first above your career. And she chastises T'Pol by saying, You're becoming too human because humans choose their own path over their families. And she's having a hard time with that.
1: Yeah. I disagree a little bit with you when you say that T'Pol's mom doesn't condone their relationship. Taless is Paul's (laughs) mother and I think that the scenes with Taless and Trip are really fascinating to me because when T'Pol learns that she has to take a mate and his name is Koss, and they've of course with Vulcan marriages they're usually arranged and so she's known this for a while but she's been avoiding it. She hasn't been coming home because she doesn't want to marry a man that she doesn't love, which is so fair. Um, and I do like that Trip and Tales have a bit of a bonding moment where Tales, of course, confronts him and is like, You're in love with my daughter, aren't you? And he's like, Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> pretty much. Um, not in so many words, but he knows and, and she knows that he loves Tapal. And so seeing her get married to another man of course is heartbreaking for him but she's kind of like i wouldn't be mad if you went to her you know and she i think supports Tripp's feelings which is very impressive i think i think that she is one of the people or one of the vulcans who is less suspicious or she doesn't despise humans like i think a lot of the other vulcans tend to do in this era and I like that about her. I like that she respects the compassion that Trip has for her. Because honestly, I think all a mother really wants is for her child to find someone who's going to love them deeply and completely. And even for Vulcans, you know, I think that they still are capable of love. They're still capable of these feelings. and. I don't know. I think that, like, they do have a good bonding moment there, but Trip knows that he can't interfere with this custom and he understands that Tapol has to marry Koss. And the reason that Tapal is marrying Koss is actually more complicated than just it being um, an arranged marriage and the time for Ponfar and all of this thing. I mean, it's essentially where Koss can protect and help Tapal's mother to less in this situation because she decided to leave the council i think no wait what, how was it well she was forced out of yes. the academy
0: the vulcan science academy i think was where she worked yes and she was forced out because to did something
1: because to was like fraternizing with humans essentially i think that the vulcans were forcing her her mother out and so i mean ashlyn i'm not going to completely disagree with you i think that still her mother disapproves of the closeness of a human and a vulcan relationship because it is pretty taboo on vulcan and but i think that like she does understand that this love is deeper than just he's not just trying to get into her pants
0: i think Teles is only putting this up as a front Mm. i think maybe in the beginning she doesn't really approve but after she gets to know trip i mean he's so respectful he fixes her appliances he's a perfect gentleman and i think what impresses her also is that he does not try to interfere with the marriage i i mean if this was a situation literally what happens in a muck time when spock is forced into a marriage kirk fights (laughs) Yeah, literally, he, fights, he like fights for Spock. We can think of so many characters who would immediately fight to the death for their someone who they kind of love, mm-hmm. you know. But Trip, he is very smart about it and he does not want to interfere in this culture i mean it is worth it to him but it's not worth losing his friendship with to over or isolating her from her culture and so i think to have that kind of perspective in this tent situation is really impressive from trip and as rihanna texted me last night trip really drinks his respect women juice so yes like he is drinking it every day. Yeah, he drinks it every day. I love Trip. He's, I mean, he's just a perfect gentleman and he brings her mother around to his side. But overall, I think that pull's mother, less is really suppressing a lot of her anarchic tendencies. A couple episodes later in The Awakening... We find that her mother has joined these Vulcans who are looking for the Kirshara, Kirshara. The, the Kirshara which is ancient Vulcan teachings from, from Sirach. And so... It turns out her mother's kind of a radicalist and she's been hiding it this whole time. This is an interesting development for their relationship because it turns out her mother really wasn't frowning upon her for anything because she's become so suspicious of the Vulcan high command and the Vulcan government for a long time. I think rightly so. It's a good reason to be suspicious. Once the the Kirshara is discovered, everything that the Vulcans thought is changed because of these ancient teachings. It's very sad when her mother dies, because I think they were just starting to have that kinship. They were disagreeing about the methods in which to, you know, uh, go against the man. I think they have the same heart and a deeper connection than either of them realized. And it's just so tragic that it was taken away.
1: Yeah, that scene is really rough. It's something that I really enjoyed about the following episode called Kirshara. To pull... Since she was forced to meld with someone, she hasn't been able to do a proper mind meld. And it's because she has a certain condition that the Vulcans say is intreatable and incurable. But it's, it's only because there's a stigma. And so I really like that, that Enterprise also talks about like the stigma of people who are sexually assaulted or raped and that they discuss this. The leader of this radical group is like, no, you actually can meld again and I'll show you how. And I really like that T'Pol is willing to do this only because the leader of the group melded with her mother and so she wants to experience her mother's thoughts for the last time and to sort of be with her mother again and so I love that she sets aside her fears in order to complete this meld and so that she can feel closer to her mother again and I think it's a very sweet moment and an important moment for T'Pol because she's letting that stigma roll off her back and to learn that she can mind meld again is just a very triumphant moment for her.
0: Absolutely. And what a gift to be able to experience your mother's feelings firsthand. That's something that, you know, Vulcans really have a good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, truly, truly. Yeah. And something I know we need to talk about the child and we will. I just one more thing I want to talk about that I really treasure about Trip and Paul's relationship because they're one of my favorite couples. I think that they're just so sweet. The fact that in, I believe, I can't remember the episode exactly, but it's, pretty much when trip finally comes to terms with Elizabeth's death and he is like crying and letting it out and to Paul's with him he says, oh, I envy you Vulcans sometimes that you don't feel anything. And she's like, it's not that we don't feel anything. We repress our emotions so that they don't control us and so that they don't like completely mess us up. She says, I actually envy you humans. And I just love that exchange because they're really understanding each other in this way. This makes it so crazy. In the, the last couple episodes of the series, the one called Demons, it's like, season four end of season four we're nearing the end of this crazy plot that's going on where we find out that there is a vulcan human child being kept by what are they called fascists (laughs) whatever they're called the Um, fascists uh terra prime no wait yeah yeah yeah, terra prime is the sort of isolationists movement of, oh, whoa, humans only. Anyway, the Terra Prime is, yeah, essentially this radical group of Nazis. Through the DNA of Tripp and Tapal, they create a baby that's a Vulcan human hybrid. And something that really struck me is that in the episode Home, where trip is talking to to paul's mother to les she says to him when she's skeptical about their relationship she says imagine the shame your children would endure having a vulcan human child and i mean we know obviously what happens to spock and the shame that he did endure but i think that she is pointing out a very real stigma and a very real issue in the world itself of children who come from mixed race households and the Either internalized racism they endure or the outward racism, and so we clearly see this to the fact that even though topol didn't birth this child, she is still their child genetically, and the terrorists are keeping her to as as a symbol of fear, as as a catalyst for their idea that humans should only be on Earth and that there shouldn't be any aliens, and they're you know, it's this whole terrorist event where they're trying, they said they're going to kill every alien if they don't leave in like an hour or something. And so it's an awful, awful moment for them, especially for Tripp to Paul, because they're discovering they have a daughter and discovering that she's in the hands of these terrorists and discovering all of these things. It's just got to be very, very stressful.
0: Yeah. I mean, they really pulled the Seska, you know, you hate to see it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, they stole the DNA and created a baby. This is such a heartbreaking scenario. I think Telesa's to attitude towards a hybrid child is exactly like that. Stigma is just painful, and it's sad to even have to mention it. You know, like oh well, what if you have children and people are going to be racist toward them? Like that's it's Awful. just it's, it's something so you never sad. want your
1: child to face or consider
0: no and you know this is a parallel for so many things in our, our earth because we've had so many terrible times i love and it's just so tragic seeing how trip and Paul both become attached to the child and end up saving it and risking their life her her elizabeth which they name after um trip's sister and they really begin to care for her when they find out that she has a problem and she's going to die, not because of her being a hybrid, but because there was an issue in the cloning process. And that is what's going to kill her. And so I think at least, you know, we know, obviously, Spock exists and half Vulcans exist. Um At least this paves the way to show that this can work, they are genetically compatible, and they can choose to have children in the future. But it is just a very sad situation that she Elizabeth is literally the poster child for this racism and hate that these Terra Prime people are, are trying to accomplish. I think it brings both of them together in a way they did not expect, Trip and T'Pol. And it's just heartbreaking.
1: <laughs> and because my brain says the finale is canceled and we're not going to talk about it, nope. <laughs> uh, it doesn't exist. Yeah, I, This is completely heartbreaking, just especially because they go in to save her and T'Pol spends some time with Elizabeth while they're still on the Terra Prime base. But then once they get her back to the Enterprise, and once they, because T'Pol realizes that she's ill, like very ill, Phlox is trying to help her. And first, he does think that Vulcan DNA is, Vulcan and human DNA is incompatible. That would make me feel so so utterly guilty that like even if they weren't truly the ones to conceive the child and so to think that i had put that on my child the suffering so unnecessarily would be so hard to face for both of them but i think you're right it is a lovely moment and trip even says like we can take some comfort in knowing that she would have been okay if we would have just had her naturally because it was just the cloning process but i do really love and hate because it's a sad quote where Flock says he's watching the two of them just stare at Elizabeth through this incubator and he says, It hurts as if she were my own child because this family has become so close and to see any of them in pain puts all of them in pain together. And I think that they all suffer through the death of Elizabeth. Of course, like trip and to pull especially but it's just is so heartbreaking to see this loss because they had such little time with her. I just love how the two of them accepted her into their lives so quickly and so easily just said that this is my child. We will protect her. And they really did everything they could to protect her. And if that's not the testament of amazing parents, I don't know what is.
0: Truly. I totally agree. I'm so excited to be back talking about our favorite half Vulcan Spock next week because we are starting Star Trek Discovery. We're going to be looking at it through a family familiar lens and we are going to go even harder into Vulcan society than you ever thought in this next episode of the pod. Please join us next week. We are so excited. We are even nearing the end of this family series, and we are excited to be moving on to love and affection as our next series that's going to be talking about all the love and all the relationships and uh, everything in the Star Trek universe. So we are excited to be moving on from some heavy themes and family into some love over Valentine's Day. So
1: yeah, we all please, need it right now. So
0: yeah, thank you for sticking with us through the uh, terrorist attack episode right after our own insurrection. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, woo, we uh, we're really trying to live it out through 2021. Yep.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as best um, as we can. Yeah. And something lovely that Flock says in the episode Terra Prime he says, Sometime away from the complications of family, I didn't expect to gain another. I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Flock. And thank you, Rihanna,
0: for that lovely quote. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to the dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week as Ashley and Rihanna discuss the familiar relationships in Star Trek Discovery. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. If you would like to become a patron, you can donate any amount per month to have access to our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, Star Trek Trivia, and future reviews of the animated series. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Duras Sisters Podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Aurelio Voltaire. Why couldn't people make sense of Charles Tucker's performance? Because it was way too trippy. <laughs>